All right, I'll invite you to take your Bible and open to Psalm 141. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. Psalm 141. We have this week and next week in the Psalms, and then we will start our, our Advent. This may be a little premature, but it is the middle of November, so maybe it's not. I'll ask the question. As you think about the year that has passed, 2022, I wonder if you can identify at least one thing that God has taught you from Scripture that's stuck out to you in a new way this year, something that you will take with you into 2023. That may be a big question. You may need some time to think about it. What has God taught you from the Scriptures this year? Is there something you've learned that's helped you to see God more clearly? Something that's pushed you to serve him more faithfully? I was thinking about those questions this week, and something that's been significant for me this year goes back to the time we spent as a church early in the year in the Lord's Prayer. On Wednesday night, we spent, what, eight weeks walking through the Lord's Prayer together. I learned so much about that prayer that Christ gave me. I've known it my whole life, it seems. And yet God showed new things to me this year. One thing that stuck out to me in particular was the last lines. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It impacted me, and here's why. Because I'm, I'm sure that every one of us have sin in our life that we're trying to overcome. Some days, some weeks, you may feel like you have the upper hand. Other days or weeks, you may feel like you will never overcome a particular struggle. But what stood out to me is that Jesus gives us his prayer, these things, these kinds of things he would encourage us to pray for, and he includes in that prayer this request. God, keep me from temptation. Rescue us, deliver us from evil. And giving us this prayer, telling us, pray like this. He's telling us, this is something you should pray for. Pray for temptation to be taken away. Pray to be kept from evil. I realized earlier this year that perhaps that was a, a part of my prayer that had been neglected. Yes, I, I, I was actively trying to put sin to death. I was faithful to repent, I believe, when I was sinful. But I was less faithful to pray and ask God for his assistance, right? Keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. And so it's a prayer that I committed to praying more faithfully. It's been on my mind a lot this year. And then we came to Psalm 141. And I read it, and I realized that this psalm is a great example of what it sounds like to pray that final part of the Lord's Prayer. That's what I mean. Psalm 141, we have David. He's coming to God with a sense of urgency. And he's coming and he's asking for help from God for his fight against sin. He's asking more or less, would you keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil? So I've spent time this week with the psalm. I've recognized this is a psalm that I should be praying, Right? should be an example for us of what it looks like to cry out to God and ask for his help. It should be a reminder to us of the, the seriousness of sin and of our need for God. 
maybe you would say, with, like I did, that maybe I don't pray as often as I should. I, I come and I, I ask for forgiveness, but what does it look like to come on the front end and ask God to keep us from evil? My hope is that this psalm this morning would help us to remember the call that we have to fight sin and also remember the gift that we've been given, the power of God, on which we can call for help. Psalm 141 is a psalm of David. It's a prayer for protection from sin, and from temptation, and from those who would lead us to sin and temptation. So with that in mind, let me read the psalm for us. Hope you'll follow along. Psalm 141. Hear the word of God. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown down over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As for the one who plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that, I have, that they have laid for me. And from the snares of evildoers, let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So we come to the psalm. We don't have a lot of context, only what we receive from the psalm itself. We don't know when in David's life he wrote the psalm. But what's clear from the psalm itself is that there are people in David's life who are tempting him to live in a sinful way. To love the things that they love and that he, as a man of God, should not. We also see there's people, perhaps the same people, perhaps other people who are out to harm him. We don't know the details. But what we do know without any doubt, is that David has recognized his need for God. And he comes to him with this, this urgent prayer. We know it's urgent because of the first verse. Do you see this? Oh, Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Come quickly. I need your help now. David certainly recognizes an urgent need. and He, he asks God, he says, Come and hear me. He says, actually, give ear to my voice, which is, it's a phrase that we see quite a bit in the Psalms. And it should evoke imagery of God giving his ear, right? Leaning in to hear. Lord, come quickly. And come close 
Would you hear my prayer? Not to suggest that God has a reputation for being slow or that he's ever not listening. But what this verse shows us is David's desire, right? God, I need you to hear me now. As we keep going, we're going to recognize that this psalm is a prayer that David prays in the time of temptation. In the time of temptation, he comes to God and says, God, I need your help now. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice. And I think that's a good example for us. How often do we find ourselves in battle with temptation? And yet how few times, I wonder, do we cry out to God? God, hasten to me. Hear my voice. I need you right now. The way David begins the psalm, this sense of urgency, I think it tells us a lot about the seriousness of sin. He's about to ask God to deliver him from these things. And he comes with a sense of urgency, but not just urgency, but, but reverence and sincerity. We see that as we keep reading. He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. If, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, some of this might sound familiar. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this verse might not make much sense. What you should know is that David is using metaphors that are based on the Old Testament forms of worship. So people would pray to God, and as part of their prayers, God had instructed them to burn incense, and it would, would go up to God, representing a sweet smell to God as he received the prayers of his people. They would make sacrifices, kill animals, and, 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 and burn them, and offer this sacrifice to God. And here's David coming before God urgently, needing God's help, and yet saying, God, would you receive my prayer as a sweet incense? Would you receive my prayer as a sacrifice acceptable to you? What's he saying? God, I need you, right? Would you hear my prayer? It's urgent, yet I think it's sincere, reverent. question we should ask ourselves is, do we take our efforts against sin seriously enough to pray a prayer like this? Do we really believe that if we cry out to God that he will help? It's clear what David believes. David is asking God to protect him from sin. These are things that he deems as urgent things with which he needs God's help. So he comes boldly and sincerely. And then we get to the, to the requests there in verse 3. He says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Again, we don't know much about the situation. What we do know is that there are people who are against David and people who want to harm him in some way. We see that in verses 9 and 10. Hopefully you've never been in a situation where you feared for your life the way David sometimes did. But I think something that we all know, we all know what it's like to have someone in our life who's opposing us or someone who's making life hard. Maybe for you it's a coworker who's vying for a position. Maybe you have a family member who 
has a unique way of making things difficult for everyone. Whatever the situation is for you, I think we all know the temptation that comes when we feel opposition. When we're in pressured situations, we may be tempted to say things that we shouldn't say. We may be tempted to lash out in anger, maybe spread gossip, maybe tempted to bend the truth, which we call lying, right? The point is, pressured situations bring temptation. David is in a pressured situation, and this is his prayer. God, I may say things I ought not to say. Set a guard over my mouth. Think about the imagery of that. Picture the guard standing outside of Buckingham Palace. Now take him and put him in front of your mouth. Right? Set a guard in post over my mouth. What's his, what's his job? To keep watch over the doors of my lips. This is David's request. God, would you post a guard at my mouth, someone who will watch the door and make sure that nothing escapes that shouldn't escape. He's tempted to say things he shouldn't. So he asks for God's help. Have you ever been tempted to say something you shouldn't? <laughs> Today, right? This morning in the car? Our tongues have great power. They can inflict great harm. Whether it's a hurtful word, a lie, a complaint, we constantly use our tongues in sinful ways. And so we need a guard, don't we? The Proverbs are helpful here. Proverbs don't beat around the bush. Proverbs 21, 23, we read, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I just want to put that one on the mirror, right? Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Here's another one. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I wonder if you found that to be true. Lots of words can lead to lots of sin. Few words show restraint and godly wisdom at times. There is wisdom in keeping close watch on our words. If we let our tongues run wild, there are often negative consequences. James flushes this out. and For your homework, you can go and read all of James 3. Let me just read part of it for you, though. James says this. The tongue also is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in the likeness of men. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Maybe a text that would be helpful for you to spend some time thinking about this week. I think we all know it's true, though. Our tongues can be dangerous. David knew his own temptation, and so this is his prayer to God. God, would you set a guard in front of my mouth? Would you keep watch over the doors of my lips? He goes on, verse 4. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds and company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. He's feeling the tug, isn't he? That tug of temptation. You know, how that, you know what that feels like? He's surrounded by people who are living their own way without any regard for the ways of God. You've been there, haven't you? It's easier just to go along with the crowd. Just join in. This is basically what David's saying. He's saying, I'm in company with men who work iniquity, and he's tempted to eat of their delicacies. But he's praying to God, don't let me do that. I don't want to get caught up in that way of life. Yes, there are things that are appealing, things that I'm tempted to put my hope in, to find joy in, but they're not pleasing to God. Perhaps you have things in your life that you would put in that category. What's the delicacy for you? A thing that seems attractive and that you know that it leads to no good. What's significant here is that this is not a prayer of repentance. It's a proactive prayer, isn't it? God, I, I don't want to say the things I shouldn't say. Set a guard. God, I'm around this company of wickedness. I don't want to eat of their delicacies. God, keep me from doing things that may seem pleasurable in the moment, but in the end lead to death. David's aim is to please God. I think it's worth noting the company we keep, whatever the delicacy is, those things don't cause us to sin. Your friend can't cause you to sin. They can make it really easy. The thing you want that God has forbidden, that thing cannot make you sin. Where does sin come from? God says, or Jesus says, it comes from inside, right? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out and out of the heart comes every form of wickedness. Notice David's prayer. His prayer is not necessarily remove me from the wicked people. It's not make the delicacies go away. It's do not let my heart incline to evil, right? It's a prayer for his heart. Sounds a lot to me like the end of the Lord's Prayer. You keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. This verse, again, is a good example for us. David is recognizing the things that could cause temptation. There's this group of people and these things that are pulling him towards disobedience. And so he asks God for help. Maybe this afternoon, before the party... You've got like 
20 minutes when all the kids are asleep. One of them's going to wake up, but you've got a little bit of time right there, don't you? To just sit and think, what is that thing for me? Maybe it is a certain group of people or a certain kind of lifestyle. A certain thing that maybe is not sinful in of itself, but you know you love it so much that you give it more intention than it deserves. What we see in this psalm is David recognizes his temptation and he's praying to God for protection. And I wish to encourage you to take time to identify in your life, and it probably won't take long. We know our hearts well. What is that thing I love too much? What is that thing that I pursue that I shouldn't? And perhaps you would take time to even write a prayer. What does it look like to be proactive? Praying for God's help. We see this with David. Not only does he pray for God's help, he actually, he ramps it up. Everything so far, it's somewhat in inner life. But do you see verse 5? This is David's prayer. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. What's he saying? If I'm in sin, would you send someone to correct me? Something we talk about, try to talk about a lot at least, is that as Christians, we should not live life in isolation. We need one another. We need people who will come around us and encourage us, people who know us, who will know our struggles. That's why God has called us together. We need people who love us and love God and who, when they see us going astray, will come to us and lovingly show us our need for repentance. Isn't this what Paul talks about in Galatians 6? Brothers, if anyone, who is caught in a if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. How? In a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. We don't have time to unpack that verse this morning, but it does remind us of our responsibility towards each other. If there's a brother or sister in your life, who's caught in sin, you've been called to go and to render aid. To call them back and seek to restore them. Paul says, go with gentleness. He says in Ephesians, speak truth in love. We don't go with the goal of judgmentalism, but with the goal of restoration. We should want, friends, we should want people who know us well enough that they will come alongside of us and love us well, and point us in the right direction when we are wandering. It's the way God has called the church to function. It's an act of kindness for someone to love us enough to point us towards the truth. James ends his epistle this way. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. At that point, it being a kindness seems like an understatement. 
you could save their soul from death. The writer of Hebrews says something similar. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So here's the antidote. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's he saying? We must be involved with one another. We need one another. It's for our protection. And this is what David recognizes here. He says to God, let the righteous man strike me. Galatians said, he who is spiritual, it's to restore, right? It's very similar. You wonder if Paul read 141, right? Let the righteous man strike me. It'll be a kindness. Now, does it always feel like kindness? <laughs> Doesn't always feel like kindness. Sometimes it feels like judgmentalism. Sometimes it feels like legalism. Sometimes it feels like you're being singled out and mistreated. And sometimes those things are true. Right? Because we live with sinners. And there may be a time when someone comes to you and it's not in gentleness. And it's not truth and love. But the question is, do we say our sin is serious enough that whether it is a heartfelt kindness or an unloving rebuke, do we hate sin enough to hear it and receive it? We'll flip that around and say, friends, let's go to one another in gentleness and love. Godly accountability is a good thing. And he goes on, verse 5, he says, Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. I put on your notes, and this could cover the whole thing probably, the prophet of godly accountability. James said it could save your soul from death. Hebrews says it could keep you from falling away from, the, from God. In David's world, they used oil to clean and to purify. It was a, a sign of honor. So someone may come to, to someone's house for dinner and a host would anoint their head as a sign of, of welcome, as a sign of honor. Remember the, the woman who takes the expensive bottle of perfume and anoints Christ? A sign of honor, of love. David says, send someone to rebuke me. It'll be like oil on my head. It will be an act of love. Let my head not refuse it. I wonder if you've prayed that prayer, if you'd be willing to. God, if I'm in sin, would you send someone and give me a heart to accept it and not refuse it? The Proverbs don't beat around the bush. Did I mention that earlier? Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. It's a warning, I think, that to continually hear a rebuke and to continually push it away, perhaps your heart would become hardened and your conscience seared. Proverbs 9, 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Whoever reproves a wicked man 
incurs injury. And that's the fear of going, isn't it? Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man. He'll love you. Oh, that we would be the wise men, right? We could go a step further. We could not only wait and hope to receive it well, we could pray that God would send that person. That's what David does, isn't he? Let the righteous man strike me. Let him rebuke me. It's a bold prayer, but it's consistent with the rest of the psalm. What we see is that David is in this time of temptation. We get that acknowledgement there in verse 5. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over a cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. Up to this point, he's been focused on his own heart. Now he turns his focus towards those who have been sinning against him. And I'll tell you on the front end, these verses are hard to understand. And not only in English, but translators have, these are problem verses. So if you have a commentary, you open it up. Lots of pages on verses 5 to 8 because they're just difficult. But while they're a bit awkward, I think the point is clear. There are people who are trying to do harm to David. And yet his first response was to pray for his own heart. Those first five verses, right? He doesn't point at them first. The first thing he does is to pray for his own heart. But then after that, he does pray for God's work in the lives of those who are causing him harm. And in a sense, it's a prayer for vindication. He says there, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, which is to say, when the leaders of those wicked are judged, perhaps others would be open to hearing the truth. Perhaps they would recognize that my words were true or, or pleasant. Which may seem like a selfish prayer, but I think the first half of the psalm should vouch for David's purity of heart. His aim is to please God. And so he joins with God in hating sin and praying for God to be just towards those who hate him. And yet he still hopes for some for the opportunity for them to hear the truth. He goes on in verse 7, anticipating the coming judgment. It says, As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. Again, a hard verse. It's hard because it says, so shall our bones be scattered. So it seems like David's talking about himself. So the question is, what do we do with this verse? Contextually, it doesn't seem to fit. There's a couple of translations that have added at the beginning, they will say, speaking of the evil ones, that this will be our fate. If that's the right understanding, then what we see is David anticipating the judgment of God on the wicked looking forward to the day when justice will be dealt out. But either way, what we recognize is David knows there are consequences for sin, and he's asking God to deal with sin appropriately. He wants to honor God. He's asking God to be just. Under all of it is his desire for godliness. Here's the reality, church. Our situation really is not that much different than David's. 
Now, you probably don't have someone waiting in the parking lot to kill you. Let's talk if that's the case. Don't leave. But we all live in a world that opposes God and that opposes us as his people. Our first response when we consider the pressure, the opposition, the hatred, our first response, friends, should be to check our own heart. God, set a guard in front of my mouth, right? Help me not to be inclined to evil. And then beyond that, we should pray that God would do the appropriate work to save or to judge those who remain in their sin. This is the hard part of the Psalms, isn't it? These prayers of judgment. But they should remind us of the seriousness of what it means to be opposed to God. And friends, every one of us was born in that condition. When we read of those in the Psalms who deserve judgment, we should not think there's some wild mass somewhere out there. No, friends, this is the story of us before Christ. Born as sinners, deserving the wrath of God. And the only way we go from being sinful and deserving wrath is by placing our trust in the finished work of Christ. And I want to be really clear here because we spent the first half of this psalm encouraging us to live godly lives. And I take none of it back, right? But you will not be saved by your godliness. And you will not be saved by your good works. Guard your mouth. Keep your heart from evil. It will not save you. The only way we're saved is by seeing the finished work of Christ and trusting in him by faith. It's the only way. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, man, read the Proverbs. They will give you wise counsel. But know that the Proverbs aren't enough. Living that way is not enough. The Bible tells us that those of us who are in Christ, who have been forgiven and saved, this will be the fruit of our lives. So Christian, check the fruit. What we see is David is an example of someone who trusted God, longed to live God's way, prays for his own heart, and prays for God to deal rightly with those who seek to do him harm. The overriding Message being, he trusts God as his protector. We see that in verse 8. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. He's in a hard place. There are people who are against him. And instead of taking matters into his own hands, which is what we typically try to do, David turns to God. He says, my eyes are towards you. You be my refuge. You've tried to build your own refuges, haven't you? Right? If I do this and I don't do this and I don't go there, maybe good things to do, but God is the one we need. And my main encouragement from the psalm to you would be, don't wait until after the sin to repent, although do repent if you sin, but let's be proactive. We should be crying out to God as we see the temptation, asking for his help. There will be times when the pressure is on. You will feel the tug of sin and temptation. You will be surrounded by those who partake in sin. 
and would encourage you to do the same. The psalm gives us a good example of how we should respond. Cry out to God. Seek his help. We see the final part of the prayer, starting in verse 9. He says, Keep me from the trap they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall in their own nets while I pass by safely. It's a prayer for safety, for help, for justice, for protection. It's a prayer of trust. David is crying out to God because he believes that God is the one who can keep him safe. From physical harm, from spiritual harm, God is his refuge, and he declares that. That brings us to the end, and I want to end with just four things that I would want you to consider based on what we've seen in Psalm 141. First, we should be a people who pray for God's help in the fight against sin. I think this has been made clear already. My friend, you are a sinner. Even in Christ, we still feel the tug of temptation. And, and my encouragement to you, friend, would be pray prayers like this ahead of time. Start your day with prayers like this. If you need a reminder, pray the Lord's Prayer. It ends with this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a good prayer given to us by example, by David, by command from Christ when he says, pray like this. This is the kind of prayer we should pray. So I just encourage you to pray proactively for God to protect you from sin. Second, I would encourage you to memorize prayers that you can pray in your fight against sin. So perhaps it's the end of the Lord's Prayer, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Or maybe you, you feel a little more confident, and you would memorize something like, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Maybe that's something you need to say as you walk into that meeting with your boss, which never goes well. Right? Set a guard. Right? I'm going into a hard conversation. This person is frustrating to me. Might be some repentance there as well. Set a guard over my lips. Guard my mouth. Do not let my heart be inclined to any evil, to be busy with wicked deeds in the company of men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Maybe you would just take that one phrase. Let me not eat of their delicacies. And you know what that delicacy is for you, that thing that you love more than you should. Sinful or not sinful. Something you've made an idol and you say, God, would you keep me from loving it too much? Third, be willing to accept accountability in the fight against sin. This is what David wanted. He wanted people who would say hard things and we need this too. So my encouragement to you is welcome and invite people into your life. Now, if you're waiting for someone to just show up and have this role, you may be waiting for a while. Sometimes we have to seek this out. Find a friend, find a brother, a sister, who you would say, would you be the one who watches me closely and speaks loudly when needed? This is what we try to cultivate in our life groups. And that's, that's a good start 
but it really has to go beyond that, doesn't it? So I'd encourage you, participate in life groups. It's a way where we try to start forming these kinds of relationships. But then beyond that, cultivate those things. Find someone else in the church and ask them to be this for you. And then when they do, receive it with kindness. Receive it as oil to the head. And finally, set your eyes on God and seek him as your greatest refuge. In the psalm, David is honest about the opposition and danger he faces. But he confesses, my eyes are fixed on God. In you, I seek refuge. And friend, I would say, turn your eyes to Christ. What's the greatest protection from sin? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Fix your eyes on Christ. See him as your refuge. Remember, Jesus died so that you could be set free from your sin. So look to the cross. Remember the work that has been done on your behalf. And friend, if you're here and you have never trusted Christ, know whatever you've done, the cross is enough to satisfy the need that you have before God. It's enough. Psalm 141 should be a good encouragement to us all. I pray that God would use us to strengthen us in our fight against sin. Let's pray together.